Welcome to the Best Teacher Podcast. I am your host, Grant Wooten. I've been an English language and literature teacher for 10 years and counting. In my experience, the best resource we have as teachers is by far each other. And in that spirit, the Best Teacher Podcast interviews everyday teachers from around the globe doing amazing, innovative things in their classrooms. In every episode, you'll meet incredible educators, hear their best stories, gain practical wisdom and useful resources you'll love, and strategies that can transform your students learning experience. I hope you enjoy the show. So happy to be back on the air today, and I am excited to bring you my conversation with Catherine Braisted. Catherine is a teacher and learning experience designer currently located in Brooklyn. We discuss the emotional work of being a teacher, a kindergartner's wise cicada metaphor, methods of tangible student agency, the importance of of learning from our colleagues and how to do it well, and much, much more. I loved this conversation, and I know that you will too. Hi, Catherine. So good to have you on the show. Uh, today, we're talking with Catherine Braisted, who is located, I believe, in Brooklyn. That's right. right. Okay. Um, and so that I don't get it, anything wrong, I always like to just put all the responsibility on my guests right away. Um, <laughs> Uh, because normally you don't get anything wrong about yourself. So could you go ahead and tell us a little bit about you, your current position, um, your journey as a teacher, why you're a teacher, and um, and we'll start there. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you, Grant, so much for having me. Such a delight to be here. Um, as I mentioned, I've listened to a couple episodes. I feel like I'm in very esteemed company here with the other teachers you've had on. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, yeah, a little bit about me. So I am now working outside of the classroom setting. I work as a learning experience designer. Mm -hmm. uh, and so teaching adults now rather than kids, which has been a really interesting and exciting journey of a lot of the skills I had as a teacher. So designing workshops, designing trainings, facilitating learning for other people. So uh, that's been great, but um, let me backtrack. Uh, how did I get here? I think like a lot of teachers, as a kid, I wanted to be a teacher. I idolized my teachers. I loved school, um, but took a kind of roundabout way to get here, I would say. Um, so in college, I was studying journalism. I was studying economics. I was doing some work in Washington, D.C.'s food access world and um, food insecurity. And I kind of, on a whim, this nonprofit that I was working with, uh, they had this school garden program because mm -hmm. school garden can be such a great bridge for food security. And um, this was at the height of the Barack Obama and Michelle Obama school garden uh, boom in DC. So all these schools were having school garden programs pop up and having no gardening experience, but really wanting to be a part of it, I thought, okay, you know, I'll try that. Um, started working at a Spanish charter school in DC, and um, I was their school garden teacher for a kindergarten Spanish class, and just was totally hooked. I loved how excited the kids got to go out into the garden. I loved the way that we could tie what we were doing in the garden into the lessons. Um, and I thought, this is, this is incredible. I love this. Yeah. Um, 
And so I found my way through a, a graduate program in education and found uh, a role in the classroom teaching kindergarten um, at another language immersion school. So I was doing that for six years in kindergarten and then second grade. Um, and I loved every minute of it. Wow. So, so you were, you started out with the community garden uh, or mm -hmm. the, the school garden, I should say, mm -hmm. uh, projects. And then you went into the language immersion school and you were a homeroom teacher for kindergarten and for second grade as That's well right. at that point. Yep. Okay. And I've noticed language is a common thread here. Do you, do you speak any other languages? I do. Yeah. So I speak Spanish and that okay. kindergarten that I was in was a full Spanish immersion classroom. So we were speaking in Spanish there. Um, and I will say I picked up some Chinese when I was working at a Chinese immersion school, but I, my understanding was probably, I mean, definitely surpassed by the other kindergartners. Like, I, I don't think that my understanding reached uh, the level that it could have. Sure. But I learned them. Yeah, they taught so me the, a lot. When you were homeroom teacher, did you also conduct your, your classes in, in Spanish? Oh, Good question. Yes. So when I was in the Spanish immersion school, yes. Uh, in the Chinese immersion school, it is an every other day program. So I'm their English homeroom teacher mm -hmm. and they have a Chinese teacher and then they switch back and forth wow. every day. Okay. And both yeah. of these were in the DC area. Right? Yes, that's right. Where of course there's a, a wide range of diverse populations. So you'll find more schools like Absolutely. this uh, than maybe anywhere else in the country, I would imagine, um, yeah. save California. California's got quite a diverse population as well. Um, so a little bit of back, uh, about your background. Did you grow up speaking Spanish in the home as well? I didn't. I didn't. But I grew up learning Spanish from kindergarten up through, you know, AP Spanish. And then I even took some Spanish in college. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. so you're one of the few that I know, at least uh, anecdotally, that um, actually learn a foreign language in school in the U.S. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I tried, and I, I studied abroad too in, in Spain, so I really tried okay. to, to make those skills happen for myself. Your study abroad, was that part of your, um, your master's in education program? That was just part of my undergrad time. Okay, yeah. yeah. How much time did you spend in Spain? Just a semester, so four or five months or so. Okay, um, I haven't been yet. I'm I'm really this one place. Uh, really want to oh, go. Yeah. yeah, Grant, put it on your list. Absolutely. I studied abroad in Madrid, but I got to see all over Spain, and and I highly recommend. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've got um I've got some close connections in Malaga. Um, oh. But everyone uh, loves Malaga. I I don't know anything about it. I just know they're there. <laughs> Um, well, awesome. Uh, so now you've transitioned out of the classroom. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? I know it's a recent change for you. And, um, you know, I'm curious as to what led to that change uh, and how it feels now that you're on the, the other side of it. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so part of my, during part of my time uh, in the classroom, I also was doing some workshops for other teachers, some workshops for parents. And this was mostly pre-COVID when we could all gather together at school um, and some coaching. And so I really loved that aspect of teaching too. I loved getting together with other teachers, loved sharing new skills with parents. And so 
my new role has a lot of that um, in it. So I'm doing a ton of coaching, a lot of training, a lot of workshops. Um, and so I, when I was thinking about transitioning out of the classroom, I knew that there was this other work that I also really enjoyed and that I was curious about exploring. Uh, so that was a part of what, you know, led me to look outside the classroom. I think the other piece that I'm sure a lot of teachers feel, and, and maybe you did as well, is that coming back to school post COVID at home, yeah. I, I knew I just had less to give. I, I had my own kind of long COVID symptoms happening and, mm. and I knew that the kids' needs were, were way up here. They were so high and not through their fault, just it was what it was. And what I had to give was so much lower and I felt not like myself. Like I hated coming to school every day and feeling like I was really faking it till I made it sometimes for the kids because I didn't want them to know just how much I had going on for myself. And I think that's something that a lot of teachers that we do is you kind of put your own stuff away for the day, you know, so that you can show up for your students. Yes. Um, and I think it was definitely a process of prioritizing myself and, and knowing I needed to take a, a step away um, just because I could feel I wasn't myself. I don't think the kids could tell, but but I could tell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of our early episodes, I interviewed Stephen Guerrero, a huge fan of that guy. I don't know if you're following him on LinkedIn or anywhere else, but he recently made a transition out of the classroom um, and he is in the Boston area. Um, okay. And so not too far away from, from, yeah. from you, uh, but it's all relative, right? I'm in Bangkok. So I feel like that's really yeah. close to you. <laughs> um, but he, he's written a lot even recently about uh, the emotional work of being a teacher. Right. And I think that's what you're touching on here is, is there's so much of what we do that is completely invisible to the outside world uh, but this is probably the most invisible and yet one of the most um, taxing things that we do, yes. even when we enjoy it. And that's the other thing is like, when we talk about how hard teaching is, it doesn't even necessarily mean that the hard things make it unenjoyable. It's just, right. that it doesn't make them not hard that they are enjoyable. Right. And so, yeah, definitely. We, we've all had days at least, but sometimes months and even entire semesters or years where we are dealing with um, a lot of our own stuff, right? Yeah. Internally. And we've got we've to be on. We've got to show up for the kids. And, it's, and we realize, we recognize that our burdens are not theirs. And it's not right. fair for them to have to carry them, right? But we also don't get to stop feeling those things or carrying those things just because yeah. uh, the bell is rung. And so the work that it takes, the energy that it takes to, um, I wouldn't even say that it's a facade, right? It's not, it's, it's a persona. Um, mm -hmm. It's a service that we're providing to the, the kids to be there and present for them in a way that perhaps we wouldn't give anyone else or couldn't bring ourselves to give anyone else, even when we're emotionally isolated or suffering or um, less than perfect. Um, 
but it's it's a lot of work and I, I i i understand how that especially when it doesn't feel like your tank is being filled when there's no improvement over a long period of time can get to a place where you're just not sure you can give anymore right um and you don't want it to get to the place where where the kids aren't getting what they need right um would you say that that's a pretty good characterization of of what you're describing I think you've captured it really well. Absolutely. Yeah. I think even though I, I never would have imagined that I would feel quote unquote burnt out or feel like I needed to take some time away from the classroom. I think that, um, I think that's spot on. Um, I didn't want to get to a place where the kids could tell that I had so much happening but of course they still could. I mean, right. they, these kids saw me, you know, wearing, a, I had to wear a heart monitor and they're so concerned. They're like, oh my gosh, like you're a robot. Why do you have that? What's happening? Um, and so of course they, they knew to some extent, but I didn't want uh, it to be showing up in my, in my persona and in the way that I was, you know, interacting and showing up for kids. Yeah. So I definitely wanted to take some, take a step away, either a temporary one or, or maybe this is a shift that I stay with, but I knew I, I needed to do what was best for me and best for the kids. Yeah. 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 I think moving into a, adult education and, and learning design, um, I've seen a lot of transitioning teachers, like that's what they're going for because they still want to be part of helping people grow and learn. And one of the shifts that's happening in my mind is I used to think that um, one of the things that made teaching so special, especially in K-12 schools, and it's still true to, to a degree, but it's just, it's not as special as I, as I thought. Now, let me explain. So <laughs> is, is that we're, we're interacting with people in some of the most formational years of, of their life, right? Um, and the experiences they have during this time have more power, more sway over the trajectory of their life than other years. And I've started to to wonder, just because of my own journey as yeah. a human, if that's more of an artificial construct than than anything. Um, and if it's an unhealthy one. Yeah. Because we are always being formed and we are always changing. And neuroscience confirms that the that our brains have the ability to radically change at basically any point in our lives. And so coming alongside someone who is 12 years old has its unique joys and it is really exciting to help them form into someone that is going to have better experiences as a young individual than perhaps they'd have otherwise. And there, there are definitely unique things about coming alongside children that I don't even think I need to espouse because almost everybody listening understands. But I also think that we don't need to de-emphasize adult education or coming along adults and helping them grow because when we, when we feel like these, it's not as impactful. I I'm thinking that that, that belief actually limits our ability to, to impact them. And when we can simply help an adult see that they are just as capable of of changing and transforming and growing as they were when they were children, that who they are today is not set, right? 
you never arrive at your final form, <laughs> right? As a human being. Um, and if we can help them understand that, if we can understand that ourselves, then we can be just as excited about helping them form and grow as we would with a class of second graders or, you know, or teenagers as I'm working with now. And that's something that's, that's, that's like fomenting in my mind. And, and, uh, and, and so I want you to be encouraged in that. I don't want you to feel like, um, even though it's very, very different and there, there's such wonderful things about being in the classroom. And I'm hoping that you get to go back if that's what you want to do that, you know, if you're engaging in adult education and, and, and you're doing learning design and even in a corporate setting, it's still human on human contact. Yes. And, um, and we are all in need of continuous formation. And so many are in need of simply being made aware of the fact that their life isn't set, that it's not over, that their identity isn't static, that there are so many opportunities ahead of them and um, give them a vision of, of who they could be and the direction they're going that uh, could really inspire them and change their lives in the same way, maybe even more so because they have more agency. So anyway, just wanted to encourage you in that because it's something I've been thinking about a lot. Grant, I, I mean, I feel so encouraged and, and I'm so glad that you just shared that perspective because I think if you had asked me six months ago when I started this job, I, I couldn't have seen that. And in fact, when people would say, how's your job? I often would say, even as recently as a, a month ago, I would say, oh, you know, teaching adults is not as magical as teaching kids, but it has these pros and there's these, these trade-offs. Um, but now I couldn't agree more. I truly feel like and I, I have some really fantastic workshops under my belt with some of these um, colleagues at my company. I can see how impactful this work is, yeah. even though it's with other adults. And, and so I definitely have arrived at that place where I'm like, this is really, really cool stuff that I'm getting to do. And I can see, you know, I, I see the magic coming through for all of us, even though this is a different group. So thank you for affirming that. Um, I, I absolutely feel the same way. I'm so glad I could and uh, and hope that that encouragement carries into the rest of your day since we're at the beginning here. Um, so much more I want to say on that on that point, but maybe we'll have to save it for another conversation just so we can get to the the meat yeah. of uh, of the podcast here. But um, that being said, anything that comes to mind when you when you think back to your experience as a teacher, um, I want to know, What's a story that you revisit in your mind often? Something that that keeps you going or something when, you know, just it, it, sometimes it's something very small, um, but you'll have the opportunity. I'm going to give it to you to explain the significance, even if, you know, nobody else would get it right off the bat. So what's yeah. what's a moment or two? Sometimes people cheat and put three or four uh, <laughs> and, and I let them because, uh, of course, um, that you think of in your teaching experience that was very formative for you, very encouraging, or maybe even just memorable? What you got? Yeah. So I am going to cheat. I do have two. Sure. Um, one of them is, uh, it was towards the end of the school year, the end of the kindergarten year. Um, and this was, 
the first year back after COVID. And so we had some limitations to this activity, but essentially it was, it was a writer's workshop and we were writing letters to the pre-K students, you know, helping them prepare for kindergarten. And normally pre-COVID, they would come visit the classroom and my students would tour them around and, and prepare them, but uh, we were writing letters. And so, you know, I said, what, how would we describe kindergarten to a pre-K, pre-K four student? How would we prepare them? And I had a student and, oh, and just to set this, the scene a little bit more, this was also uh, a summer when there were thousands of cicadas unearthing themselves in the DC area. And so streets were covered with cicadas. This was like the talk of, of the town for everyone, yeah. mm-hmm. especially students. Um, and so my, one of my students, she's, she said, you know, I would tell them that they are like baby cicadas who are learning how to fly and they can learn how to do anything. And they, just like we didn't know how to read and we didn't know how to do writer's workshop, like they're going to learn. And mm. I just thought, oh, if there's anything I really want my students to take out of this year, it's that feeling uh, that they're, you know, like limitless and that yeah. they can do so much. Um, and I loved that not only had my student seemingly really internalized that for herself, but was mm-hmm. so ready to tell other kids like, hey, you can do anything too. You're just a baby cicada learning how to fly. <laughs> so that's when I come back to, I think also because something I personally loved about teaching kindergarten is that they can be so zany and so funny. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it adds such a such a levity to a lot of the work that you do at that age. Um, and so I think it, just the fact that she thought to compare a human to a baby cicada yeah. gives me a laugh every time. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful, uh, beautiful story. I, I, and I love the zaniness. I actually have a four-year-old right now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and zany is probably, if you had to pick one, adjective for her that's what it would be a little spitfire um but she'll just say the way their brains work and put things together that oftentimes seem incoherent but sometimes give brilliant sparks of 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 wisdom where you're like whoa (laughs) like i've got to go sit down and think about what you just said (laughs) um and and i think it's because it's that fearlessness right it's that um willingness to take things that don't on the surface seem like they would be connected they don't have all the connotations and the constructs that we do like these things go together and these things don't right so they're experimenting and they're categorizing and you're they're smashing things together in their mind that we would never <laughs> right if those there's clear barriers there um and so for <laughs> for your student to to make that comparison is not one we would make because we we have connotations about insects and we have connotations about people and like butterflies that's as far as we go right we're like people are like butterflies because butterflies are beautiful but cicadas are like i don't know if you've ever seen one up close um so they're not like the most attractive insect um and i was saying i'm not personally attracted to insects maybe somebody who is could give us a better insight into this (laughs) but uh but i feel like there are better looking uh, bugs out there um, and so we wouldn't necessarily make that connection. We wouldn't see it as a, a beautiful right. thing. Right. But, uh, for, for her, it was a, a little girl, right. For her, yeah. it, it was just, yeah, this is something I'm seeing every day. 
and um and i'm seeing new life literally come out of the ground and and all the possibilities there and then like you said for her to have that not just recognize it but to have that spirit of i want to spread it right um you know maybe you got a little teacher on your hands tell me about it i hope so i I mean and i to her credit she also uh insisted on taking a snail home to have a pet snail because her her family wouldn't allow her any pets and so um she also had a pet snail named Bobby. And so maybe she just loved insects. I don't know. We have yeah. a future, maybe science teacher on our hands. There we go. Or, or yeah. biologist or. Exactly. Uh, or who knows, maybe just a person who works at completely innocuous jobs, but also collects bugs. Exactly. Here we go. So you said you had more than one. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm curious now. What's, what's the second What What else is going on that you want to share? Yeah. So the second one's not. Um, not as funny, and it's kind of a collection of, of moments, um, but I was thinking about it recently when another teacher and I were talking about those dark, early COVID teaching at home days, um, yeah. and, and kind of in that framework where she was like, oh, I really don't miss that time, um, and I had kind of forgotten about what it was like during that time. I think a lot of us have kind of pushed that away. Um, but I, when I thought more about it, I actually remembered that my students and I, you know, despite all of the challenges that came from learning from home, especially for younger students, but really for everyone, um, we really found some ways to connect that I hadn't experienced before or after during teaching. And, and what I mean by that is that I had students who, you know, one student and I, we would be on Zoom together and this was outside of class time. And he would just for an hour, an hour and a half, read to me from his Pokemon books. And I had a, another student who was so shy in the whole group setting in Zoom and, and she was really you know, wanting to warm up a bit. And so every week we would bring our stuffies to Zoom, she and I, and we would have a little stuffy play date over Zoom just to help her feel more comfortable. Um, And then another student whose family actually moved abroad during, right before COVID, who was really struggling in her new school. And so she and I, every single week, honestly, for the whole calendar year, we had a weekly Zoom where she would show me what she was learning how to cook or she would show me her new taekwondo moves or we would just hang out over zoom yeah and i just i felt like being at home despite the challenges also afforded me this amazing opportunity to connect with students in a way that i would never have had time for all of that in in the classroom setting yeah um and it was actually so beautiful to think about it and remember that we, we found some, some glimmers during that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, really special. Um, yeah. I find that really touching because it's, it's just a testament to, well, to, to you and to your willingness to do that, to make time for them to not even think twice about it, to enjoy it. Um, and also just how, you know, how in so many ways, teachers stepped up, um, it, like we always do, in ways that will never be recognized or, or or seen by others, right? And we don't do it 
for any other reason than of course, <laughs> right? Because it just makes sense. It's, it's, it's because ultimately teaching is about one human coming alongside another human being and recognizing their worth and their value and their potential. And you cannot do that dispassionately. Right. <laughs> right. It's not this mechanical thing. It has to be this extremely um, deep human connection. Um, whether you want it to be or not, right? Yeah. If you're going to be successful, and especially with with kids who are just so charming in and of themselves, right? Just because they're kids, yeah. Um, I can imagine that those times were extremely healthy for them, right? Um, something that they'll remember as well, but but just also how much how much healthy you 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 were throughout that time, um, yeah you know, being able to have those moments. And I think that, you know, so often we are, we are emphasizing all the devastating effects, you know, like you said, that, that COVID has had. Um, but to highlight this, which is a, it's just like, oh, and also there's this extremely bright spot of connection that never could have happened without this. That's really, really cool. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Grant. It, it really was, it was so special to have those, those moments. And I, I do think, I'm sure there are plenty of even other teachers or administrators who might, you know, hear those stories and think like, you know, Catherine's like, you're really doing too much. And that's mm -hmm. outside of, of your contractual obligations. But to be clear, like you said, not only did I not think twice about that, um, and I didn't do anything that I, I didn't want to do. Yeah. I also found those moments just as meaningful for me during COVID as someone who was living alone and really missing connection with my students and my, and my friends and my people that I looked forward to those stuffed animal play dates just as much as my students. And yeah. so I loved those moments. And um, yeah, I'm so grateful that I have, I, I can carry those memories with me. Well, and I think, you know, you mentioned the stuffed animal play dates. Um, I think one of the great things about being a teacher, working with young children especially, is that we get permission to be childlike. Yeah. We get permission to express ourselves in ways that are not um, acceptable socially for an adult mm -hmm. anymore. And yet, if we're being honest, are just as fun as they were when we were kids. Absolutely. Are just as great to enter into. Um and we get that we get that privilege, and it's socially acceptable because we're doing it with a child. But, um, but the truth is, it's not work. I mean, it, to, right. to do it, you know, in most cases, it, obviously, if you're in a bad emotional state, it can be it can be really tough to enter into that place. Right. But we get the privilege of being able to empathize with children, and 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 also get in uh, better touch with with our own inner child, right? Which exactly. is, I would argue, the probably one of the best parts of all of us. Um, if we could, but just tap into it. And that was the beauty of, and I bring him up a lot, but Mr. Rogers, right? Of Fred Rogers is that he never lost that. He never, and, and he never let anybody else um, take it from him. Yeah. He, he stayed continuously in a place where he was obviously an extremely, you know, like successful and organized and all the adult things. Right. Yeah. Um, but he also, was very childlike, you know, 
And I think oftentimes we use childlike as a, as a negative term. Right. Um, childish, right. Can be an insult. Um, but you know, you look at kids and you're like, well, they're the most beautiful people on earth. <laughs> Isn't it a good thing? Maybe we should all be a little bit more childlike, you know? Um, so thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, don't lose, you know, your ability to, to be, to be childlike. Yeah. Still here. There's just, there's a zany kindergartner in, inside of me at all times. So. I would imagine that if anything brings you back to the classroom and be like, I just got to play with some stuffies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> funny Grant, actually a friend of mine, he asked me to read to him one of my, um, I have it here actually, it's called Rumple Buttercup. It's a, okay. it's a chapter book, but it's so funny. And he, he's like, I'm just dying to hear your teacher voice. Can you please read me with FaceTimed? And I just, yeah, I pulled yeah. it out. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I read to my my girls uh, almost every night, and um, one of my favorite things is to just get really into it. Yeah, I can know? totally see that. Why not? Of course, right. like, and, and in fact, the more into it I get, the better a dad I'm being. So, go f- go full full bore, just all the voices yeah. to the point where sometimes the kids are like, "Dad, can you can you read your normal voice?" <laughs> You know, it's been too much yet. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get into uh, some of the the nuggets, the practical stuff. Um, as much as I really love this stuff, and it's always going to be my favorite part, and I unashamedly say that. Um, you know, we, the, the reality is we're going into the classroom every day, and we get into routines, and um, there's nothing more healthy for us as teachers and professionals in any field, but especially as teachers, to hear what other teachers um, have done and are doing. Um, because not only is our work invisible to others, but often it's invisible to our colleagues even. And we we miss out. We don't learn from each other in the way that we should. So that's a big reason why I started this podcast is I was having these conversations. I was learning from so many educators and I was like, but nobody else is, right? Nobody else is benefiting. Right from these conversations. So let's have them, let's have them in a place where they're accessible. Um, so in that spirit, what is a tip, just a general tip? And this is what, this one's really open-ended and abstract on purpose. There's kind of no constraints um, yeah. that you would give educators. Um, that's something that you learned in your time that has helped you be the best educator that you can be. And it can be anything, you know, just go for it. Yeah, I love this question. Um, and I would say, oh, it's so hard to pick just one. One tip that I found transformed the vibe in my classroom, especially my second graders, mm-hmm. is that I really tried to incorporate student agency, and I know that sounds buzzwordy, but stick with me, mm-hmm. as often as I could. And the main way that this showed up in a way that I thought was transformative for the kids was when it came time to do our monthly classroom order for supplies. And, yeah. and I know that not all classrooms have this type of budget and not all schools do this, but at my school, every quarter or so, we could submit a request for supplies out of the classroom budget. And so I would tell the students ahead of time, I would say, hey, next week I have to put in my order. I'm going to start asking you what you see around here that we need more of, or 
if there are some books that we should add to the library or if there are some games you wanna try. And so we would have this big kind of classroom meeting and we would write all their ideas on the board and, and they knew that this wasn't a guarantee and the budget wasn't limitless, mm -hmm. but the joy grant on their faces when I could you know, add a new book to a book series to the library and, and these boxes would come in and they would see the things that they picked and that they saw we needed. Um, it was huge. Yeah. And I think it speaks to, you know, kids can feel like so much is outside of their locus of control. There are so many decisions that are being made for them. Um, but I loved that opportunity to give them some ownership and some agency where they're like, hey, yeah, I asked to have guess who and, and now we have guess who and everyone loves it or, you know, we needed, I noticed that we needed more markers. And mm -hmm. so I think it just went a long way to having them feel like they had a real stake in the classroom. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah, I mean, and, and not just a stake, but an ownership um, and some control, right? right. Over because that's one of the things about school that um, kind of I struggle with the most mm -hmm. is that uh, kids really don't have a choice but right. to be there. And, and so, you know, it's it just, it, it, obviously they're going to feel like they don't have any control over their lives. And how can yeah. we give them back more of that control so that they don't become dependent or, um, so that they grow up to be people that that feel that way, because that's one of the factors that I think has, has led to in, in studies that I've read and, and things like that. I'm obviously a lay person when it comes to this, but in yeah. psychology, one of the things that will determine happiness the most is whether you feel like you are in control, whether you feel like you can determine the outcome of a given situation. And so I'm thinking about school and I'm like, wow, you know that could be the worst place for that feeling because yeah. there's a block schedule and, you know, there's this happening and this happening and you really have no control over it at all as, as a kid, which is why mm -hmm. I think a lot of kids will end up not liking school, even if they have great teachers and all that. So yeah. to start so young, giving them even small things like this, right. Um, like they have control over their environment and, and I love that it's physical and tangible, right. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just like, Hey, cause, cause we often do this. we, a lot of teachers I've seen, they construct rules alongside yeah. those students. But again, that's it's kind of abstract. And yeah. and this was, you know, we're, we're going to do this thing. And then, you know, maybe a week later or whatever, we actually see it. And and every time we see it, it's a reminder that we had um, some say in building this environment together. So I love that. I, I think it's 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 wonderful. Is there anything else um, that you would do in your classroom that you could give us an example of, I'm sure there is, um, where you you did that same thing, where you would hand them control or, or increase their agency um, as a teacher? Yeah, great question, Grant. One that comes to mind that's not centered around academics because there were definitely opportunities for them to choose kind of self-directed learning mm -hmm. just based on the type of school that it was it was an IB school and it's very inquiry based and and lots of student directed action so there was a fair amount of choice when it came to summative assessments and how are you going to demonstrate your understanding but one big one that I would say has had a 
more significant impact on their day-to-day uh, enjoyment of school was choice around how they were going to spend their recess, whether it was going to be in our nature center, which was this kind of forest play area, or mm-hmm. doing these other activities, um, whether it's on the playground or with a football or a basketball. I think, again, just so many kids look forward to recess all day. And so right. to give them that little bit of choice, kids loved that. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if um, I wonder if there's something here where I know that recess for me at that age was basically just go, go outside, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a lot of freedom there, but it can also feel um, like you're just getting out of their hair, like yeah. it's more of a favor to the teachers than it is really for you. And so you just get to benefit from them not having to deal with you for a little bit, right? Right. Um, and that's not the message we want to send, right? So I wonder if if by adding constraints, just like in creative endeavors, by adding constraints, by by giving them choices, and maybe one of the choices is just go run outside, but by but by showing that we have given them thought, that we've given thought towards this time and then giving them freedom to choose. I wonder if that that's something that we all could do. Uh, you know, even if it's just one additional thing. Hey, you can go outside, or you know what, if you want to stay in my room and and sit down and read a book. Um, here's a place where where you can do that instead during your break. And and maybe none of them will choose it, right? right? But having given them that extra little choice that they could, oh, we have a choice. And you put thought into creating a space where they could make that choice, I think sends a message to them of, of care um, and makes them enjoy their recess maybe even more right? Even if it's exactly yeah. the same on the surface, because it does feel like a choice and not like they're just being pushed out the door, right? Agreed. Yeah. yeah. It's funny that you mentioned reading a book because this was a little bit divisive and, and maybe it's, it is for other teachers too, but many of my students would ask, can I bring a book with me? Can I bring colored mm-hmm. pencils and paper? I, I don't want to play on the playground. I just want to read or I just want to color somewhere quiet. Right. Yeah. Um, and I allowed it with the constraint of as you need to be able to take care of the book and the materials yeah. and that's what that looks like and, you know, show, demonstrate that and absolutely you can. And of course they took care of that stuff, Grant, because of course they loved having that freedom to to make that choice. And so I agree. I think my hope is that they felt cared for and they felt that I, you know, I really I cared about how they wanted to spend that time. Right. Right. Yeah. So cool. Okay. Uh, next. It's always hard for me to move on because I'm, like, I'm just like, I feel like every segment I'd be like, okay, this could be a podcast by itself. Um, but I just, you know, I, I love talking to teachers. So, so I guess I'm doing the right thing here uh, with this. Um, I always say, I, I know I'm a little biased, but I think teachers are some of the most interesting people on the planet. <laughs> I really do. Agreed. Because we, we have to be. We have to be very open-minded. We have to dig into, we, we often are lifetime learners. So we just, mm-hmm. we're just always learning things outside of our own field. And we just get to encounter so many wonderful people, uh, both little and big, right? Um, and so I think it's a privilege uh, to be go through the things that we go through that make us into really interesting people. So um, you're no exception to that rule, obviously. Um, okay, so. Next, uh, would be a tool that you use. Now, this can be physical or it can be digital. 
but something that, and I, this is what I, I always like to frame it this way, something you wouldn't teach without, right? And like, I'm no, if you told me I couldn't have that, I just would never go back to the classroom. <laughs> and maybe it's not that extreme, but it's almost there. Yeah. Uh, what comes to mind? All right, I'm gonna cheat a little. I have, I have two and I okay. will keep them short just to, to fit it all in. One, and this is not fancy, and this is not, um, maybe this is gonna sound unconventional, but I think the biggest one is other teachers. And what I mean by that is that, especially for new teachers, but really for any teacher, observing other teachers to me is one of the most powerful tools in our tool belt and something that we don't really get to do as often, at least in my experience. Uh, maybe there are other schools that prioritize that. But I would say, you know, in my first year of being a lead classroom teacher, we had this incredible experienced kindergarten teacher join our team. And I think it was maybe at least two years until I had a chance to go observe her in her classroom. Yeah. And, and to this day, I mean, until I left the classroom, all of my best classroom practices came from her and came wow. from seeing the songs that she used for transitions and all of these little things that I picked up from observing her. Because when you're new to teaching, you just, you don't know what you don't know. There's just so much that experienced teachers do that you just don't know about. Right. And so I would say one tool, one thing to put in every teacher's toolkit is getting outside of your classroom. We can be so siloed, but getting a chance to see other awesome teachers doing their thing um, is really indispensable. Yeah. 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 Def definitely. Um, yeah, I can see that. And yeah. uh, don't worry about whether it's like it, it unconventional or whatever. I, I, um, I really love um, when people say what has been actually useful for them. So that's, that's, yeah. that's great. Is there a specific um, way that you would go about it? Is, is it, you know, would you take notes? Would you sit in the corners of fly on the wall? Would you offer to be a TA for a day? Um, how, how would you say you did this most successfully uh, when yeah. you're observing other teachers? Great question. Um, I was fortunate when I did this in kindergarten to have a teaching assistant who could take over some lead teaching. And, and I think there was probably someone who also came in to cover in the classroom. Um, so that allowed me to go observe. And I think it was more of the fly on the wall taking notes um yeah. but i had also seen her plans in advance and so i had a sense of what was going to happen um and then i was just watching her in action and following up with her after um yeah. especially around songs to make sure that i had them right yeah and and as you know there's so much that's not in the plan right, right? There's so much that she's doing as an experienced teacher that just like is second nature to her now, right? Yes. But that you picked up on and you were like, oh my gosh, that was amazing, right? And and I bet you brought it up to her and she's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. That's not exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, man, and the fact that teacher prep programs don't in, involve, um, at least in my case, didn't involve a high level, just hours and hours of sitting in someone else's classroom. I don't know. I don't understand it, but there's so many things about teacher prep programs I don't understand. So um, maybe that'll change. 
you said you had another. What was I have another in mind? Yeah. Yes. And so, and and this one came to mind as soon as you said something that I wouldn't be able to teach without, and that is some kind of social emotional language that you have to use with your students. And so I know not every school has an SEL curriculum or some kind of you know way for way to help students develop their emotional regulation language. Yeah. But for me, as soon as and, and my school used conscious discipline at the time and they've since moved into something different, but having these tools to help support students move through and experience their feelings was so key, especially to teaching in, in early childhood elementary. Um, because you can't get to the content if a student is is experiencing a feeling and, and they and they need help moving through that. They need help feeling it and doing something with it. Yeah. And so um yeah, I I don't know how teachers do it without having some kind of framework around helping students name feelings and yeah. experience it and, and move through it. So, could you give an example point. of a of a phrase maybe that you would use in in the classroom, just as an example of SEL language for those that maybe aren't familiar? Yeah, great question. Um, so this is this is a conversation that would definitely happen in private, not in in the middle of, of a lesson. But um, it's a lot of, you know, let's say a student is feeling mad that someone took a marker from them. I'll give a really basic example. Um, I might say, you know, tell me, tell me what happened. And they're telling their story. And my immediate go-to phrase is, that sounds really X, Y, Z, or that that would be so frustrating or whatever it is, the emotion that they're naming. Yeah. You know, I want to really go to that affirming phrase so that they're like, oh, yes, that is, I am frustrated. Yes. Like you get it. I'm so mad. You know, even if I, even if they're in the wrong, even if, you know, there's a whole host of things that led to that event, um, being able to see and, and understand and, and affirm helps the student move from, I'm feeling this big feeling to, okay, I feel understood. I'm gonna do one of these behaviors we've talked about to, to re relax, whether it's read a book for five minutes or, or journal. And then I'm ready to, to have your help to go talk to that student and say, hey, I didn't like it when you took that marker. Next time, can you ask my permission? So that phrase I go to is, is usually some sort of affirmation of like, oh, yeah, that sounds really hard or that sounds really annoying. Yeah. And it's and it's such a <laughs> it's like, yeah, we should also do this with adults. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, we, we and, and this is if you ever get active listener training or whatever, um, that's one of the things that's the first thing they do is like you need to validate that you understand where someone else is coming from, that you giving mirroring, right? Saying back right. what they said to you and showing them that, yes, you are in fact listening and um, and you heard what they said and you understand it. Even if, like you said, you don't necessarily wouldn't have felt that way yourself or don't agree with it. That's not the point. The point is right. that uh, they feel seen and understood and affirmed. Um, yeah. And just like referencing back, if anybody's looking for a great SEL uh, language framework, 
um mr rogers is a great mm-hmm. place to go that guy he was so yeah. so ahead of his time um and i mean i just i still chuckle because i've read so many biographies and stuff like it, the way that he would just pull this out with adults like unashamedly sometimes he would just take out a puppet <laughs> just like and just like have the, and nobody could get away with it but him right, right. but then he would have an sel conversation with it with, with an adult with a puppet on his hand and you know and it would be like i don't know i can just imagine him doing it to the dalai lama you know like a, like it didn't matter who they were you would see that that inner child that we talked about and he would connect with it and um and so often when our emotions are running high that's the part of us that needs talking to right exactly not the rational reasonable logical you know nobody right. nobody likes being told how dumb it is that they're angry when right. they're angry right they need to be they need to be told hey i see what's so frustrating um yeah. why don't you why don't you let it out why don't you tell me what's going on so i think that's so great and um again it just speaks to so so little of what we do is the actual content stuff right i mean it's important right but it's not it is not the bulk even i would say of our work as as a teacher um so i love that that each touch point that we've had in our conversation today points towards that reality um that i want more and more people to understand especially non-educators but unfortunately i don't know how many of them are going to be listening to our podcast Uh, we'll see we'll see it's so hard to convey to non-teachers especially now that i'm i'm outside of that of that sphere it's just it's difficult but i completely agree but you bring so much of that awareness um into your new role right and again if you can if you can kind of have that shift in thinking and understand that all of those things that we do as teachers are just as necessary in other jobs. They're just more likely to be ignored. Um, and then you can bring those into your new workplace. Um, what a wonderful, wonderful thing, right? Yeah, that your colleagues will experience and they'll be like, wow, like they don't even know they can't even put it into words. Um, and I, I think that's, that's, it's, I don't even know how to, I don't know how to put it into words, but like, <laughs> I guess it's just care. I think it's just a, a high level of awareness and care for your fellow human beings that God knows we need more of in every sphere uh, these days. So, all right. Well, last part, out of respect for your time, I'm sorry, we're about 10 minutes over. Um, and I know you've got places to be, things to do. Um, but I want to get to this last one because I know you've got something prepared. And that is a strategy. So this is this is really brass tacks. This is something that you you know you use to convey knowledge or skills, and you just you revisited it. You looked for excuses to use it because you knew it was going to be so reliable as far as engaging and 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 resulting in in great outcomes. Yeah, I love this question. Um, so for me, my go-to strategy across the school day, and so this is something that I would pull out whether we're reading a book doing a math lesson is, and this spoke to the pedagogy of, of my school, but it was, it was to ask students to tell me what they were thinking. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, if we're doing even something as discrete as a math problem, I would never make it sound like I was fishing for a particular right answer. And so, Mm -hmm. When I would pose something to my students, 
I would typically say, tell me what you're thinking about. And that's intentional because I wanted them to share their thinking and we learned how to do that, right? That it's not something that every, all of us know how to do is describe our thought process. Right. But I really wanted to convey this idea that every, every strategy is worthwhile. So every way of getting somewhere I want to hear about, and I want all of us to hear about, Mm. um, and that there's more than one way to arrive somewhere. And so when a student would say, oh, so I'm thinking that I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to get to the answer by doing this, this, and this, even if that's wrong, I absolutely want to have an opportunity to say, oh, I, I see where you're going with this and this, this makes sense. So I definitely wanted to instill in my students kind of across the day, no matter what we were doing, that their thinking was valuable and that the way that they were coming to an answer was important, no matter if it happened straight away or, or what have you. So that was kind of my go-to strategy for a lot of things. Well, and that's so, it's so easy to put into practice. Right. Right. It's just a, it's just a question, but it's so much more than that. And I would imagine that when they begin to, to do that, you would come alongside them and, and say, well, let's explore that. Would you have them elaborate if they didn't say very much? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Tell me more about that. Or, or what else were you thinking? Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I really wanted to de-emphasize this idea that I think kids probably see on shows and books and movies that there's so much value to being that that Hermione Granger of the group, the one who's shooting their hand up and knows the answer right away. Right. I really wanted to de-emphasize that there's just one way to yeah. be right or or have the answers. Well, I I think that's that's wonderful because for so many reasons, but especially because you know with the rise of AI, which is all anybody's writing about, it feels yeah. like, and it's I just I haven't because I'm just I just don't want. <laughs> Right. Like there's so much. I'll wait until it's not a hot take anymore. I'll wait until it's ice cold. And then I'll come out and be like, now that I've read 500 (laughs) articles on chat GPT um, and the AI has taken over the world, I would like to say, (laughs) uh, but, but that being said, the thing I'm excited about when it comes to this is that it does seem like everybody is recognizing now that this regurgitation of information, that this instant answer, that being the walking encyclopedia really isn't valuable anymore because we don't need that. And so what do we need, right? Why why did we have students write essays in the first place? Why do we have them interact? I'm a literature teacher. So why, why do we have them interact with the great pieces of literature? And it's not because of the literature and it's not because of the essays. It's because of how valuable it is for getting them to be the kind of people that think in a certain way and can think in a certain yes. way. Right. And so, and that's been lost. Right. So, so now where we're like, Oh, you can generate an essay in five seconds. What are we going to do? The world's on fire, you know? And it's like, well, no, right. because it was never about the essay in the first place. Right. It was about how essays help them organize their thinking and present logical arguments and things like, and we could still do that. Exactly. Um, but I love this particular question because it encourages experimentation mm-hmm. and exploration, you know, and, and a thought experiment. Let's let's travel down that road, even though it might not end in the outcome that we want. But there's no way to know whether it'll end in the outcome we want unless we travel down it. So let's do it. Exactly. 
Um, yeah. And I think it also has the added bonus of, of modeling for other students too, that again, your way of thinking about it was one way and someone else's is a different way. And, and they're both just as valid and they're just right. as important. Yes. And I really, I wanted everyone to, to get that message loud and clear over and over. And uh, to the extent that kids would ask other kids, Hey, what was, what strategy did you use? Like, how did you do that? And whenever I heard that happening, I, it was such a, such a huge win because yes. I really felt like they were internalizing that idea. Well, it's, it's so great. And I, I'm just uh, jealous of your students now, uh, which I could have experienced some of that environment uh, as one of them, because it just sounds so wonderful. Um, so, yeah. well, Catherine, thank you so much for coming on today, for sharing so much of yourself and your background and the wisdom and knowledge you have. I know you were worried at the beginning about whether you'd be articulate and have much to share. <laughs> and obviously, you shouldn't have been worried at all. This was extremely valuable. I know our listeners are going to love it. I know I loved it. And it was a privilege to have you on the show today. Before we go, um, where can people find you? Can people reach out to you? Would you rather them not? <laughs> let, let us know. Um, and, and are you working on anything that you want people to know about? Ah, that's so thoughtful. First of all, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I feel so honored from the moment that you reached out. It's such an honor. So thank you for having me. Um, people can absolutely reach out. They can find me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to talk about anything from what we talked about here to teacher transition to truly anything. If you have a, a new favorite children's literature book, uh, find me on LinkedIn um, or do you, do you share emails? They can yeah, email you share anything you want. Yeah. yeah perfect. You'll find links to all the resources mentioned in the show notes today, including contact info for our guest. If you or someone that you know is a teacher and would like to be a guest on our show, or if you have any comments or suggestions for us, you can send us a message at bestteacherpod at gmail.com. If you like today's show, make sure to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you are listening to this and recommend the show to any other teachers in your life. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Best Teacher Podcast.